0: Welcome back to Nothing Never Happens in our conversation with Dr. Annie Lockhart-Gilroy and Dr. Nancy Lynn Westfield on womanist pedagogy. Well, how do you get white folks in your classes to, to begin to awaken to their own positionality and embodiment and privilege and, you know, the white supremacy textbooks and a lot of our classes and curricula Mm -hmm. and to begin to you know see the grid on
1: all of this Um, so it's not one lesson it's not one course Mm -hmm. and it's not one degree Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I have um, moderate expectations for what I can do (laughs) in any classroom and in any lifetime of any degree The other thing is that we um, have developed the class by doing just what you said. We identify our bodies and the positionality and talk about the body politics,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: not only of of black bodies or female bodies, but the body politics and the social positionality of white bodies and Mm -hmm. male bodies. Mm -hmm. So So they want to have the conversation about those people over there. And we bring the conversation to you. You are part of this conversation. Yeah, that raising that kind of awareness with those kinds of questions or those kinds of exercises is often startling for students. Of course, yeah. So the the intro, my intro to educational ministries class has a reputation in the hallway that is very polarized. It is mm-hmm. either a fantastic class mm-hmm. or. Mm-hmm. Stay away from that class. <laughs> yeah. there's, no, there's very little in between. Yeah. You either love it or hate it, and I'm, I'm I'm suspicious of the people who love it. And it's mm-hmm. I don't particularly need the disgruntled people who are running around the hallway saying, "Oh my God, stay away from that class." It's like. People, it's a class in the curriculum. We do, we're not doing such strange things in here. That, mm-hmm. But what we do, what we are grappling with in very significant ways is precisely embodiment. Mm-hmm. And for people yeah. who are not used to having a conversation that includes body and body politics, and then the subsequent racism, sexism, classism, all the domination and violence, and not talking about it, but doing mm-hmm. reflection about how this works in my own life, that's
2: tough going for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. At, at some point, um, when doing an exercise and we talk about the identities we embody, mm-hmm. right, and our race and our class and our gender, um, what people see and what they're unable to see, um, more often than not, I will hear a white American saying, I don't have, well, I don't have a culture.
0: Yeah.
2: Or I don't have a race. Um, so even the notion of everybody in this room has a race Mm -hmm. everybody in this room has a gender everybody has in this room Mm -hmm. (laughs) has a culture Mm -hmm. right um and a class and let's just talk about how problematic it is to Mm -hmm. have normal and other yeah right so when you say to me i don't have a culture what you're saying is that i am normal and mm-hmm. you are not. And you are not, yeah. right? When I, I don't have a race because I'm just normal. Yeah. And yeah. you're you different, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I am remembering a college friend who was doing a panel um, about race and inclusi- inclusivity and those things. Mm-hmm. And this is a black woman. And somebody, a white woman raised her hand and asked, at what age did you realize you were different? And she said, I always remember this. She said, she said, honey, I'm not different. You're different. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it was funny, because I never thought about it that way. Yeah, right? But she was like, in my world, I'm normal. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know? And and that kind of shocked the her a little bit. Yeah. Um, Understandably so, because we live in a culture where it's white normativity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, so the, the mm-hmm. black TV shows are the special ones, but the ones mm-hmm. with all white casts are just normal, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so so being bred in that, I, I understand where that comes from. But being in the classroom, mm-hmm. talking about how everybody has embodied race, gender, class, mm-hmm. you know, ability, that in and of itself... Um, is shocking,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right, to many people, and I think yeah. that's that's for me where it starts. Um, so an know, inter- intersectional approach. Yes. To this, and then when you get your guard up, right, because mm-hmm. I just told you that you're a white man, and that makes you nervous, right? Yeah. Then I can say now let's talk about why those shoulders about your ears, mm-hmm. because all I did, I mean all I did was state facts. Mm-hmm. You added value. Mm-hmm. All I did was state facts. Yeah. You are a white man. You know, <laughs> just like your name is Bob. You know, <laughs> like yeah. you yeah. immediately added value. Now let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and why it's so
1: offensive or, or threatening to be called white? Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Why? <laughs> well, don't. I, I've actually had black students say, "Don't tell the white people they're white."
2: Are <laughs> you insane? When they don't tell? The white like, do they, they not have, have, have mirrors? <laughs> 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 you know.
1: But, yeah. And the conversation about embodiment is not always a negative conversation. So mm-hmm. I need to say that too. Yes. yes. Um, mm-hmm. So in a womanist class that I'm teaching this semester, um, one of the things that um, I intentionally did um, was listen to the kinds of issues the women, they're all. So in my womanist class, only women enrolled in the class, self selected, only women. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, yay, on the other hand, what yeah. the hell? But anyway, <laughs> right? yeah. so over the semester, I listened to the kinds of repeated conversations, the kinds of questions, the threads of questions they
2: mm-hmm. were asking
1: and what their curiosity was. Um, and about a month ago, I asked them, as we were getting to the middle of the class, I said back to them, it sounds like you're you're interested in issues of wellness, you're interested in issues of mm-hmm. body healing, you're interested in in body balance. So they said yes. So I set about, um, and we actually did this last week, what I call, I put together what I call a wellness circuit for them. So in the wellness circuit, because we are an embodied class and you know, I'm doing this womanist Mm -hmm. approach that is embodied and I mean that literally embodied. I had five women in the conversation. I brought in five practitioners. So we brought in a a massage therapist with a massage chair, a nutritionist, a nurse, Mm -hmm. a debt counselor, and a dancer. Hmm. So for the three-hour class from 7 to 9 on Thursday night, on this particular night, each woman got uh, went with a practitioner every half an hour and then switched. So all five women got all five experiences in one night. Yeah. The, res- the feedback from them instantly by the end of the night was overwhelming mm-hmm. about how transformative this night's experience was. So yeah. to get them a... So women talking about their own health is still radical. Mm. Women getting care Mm -hmm. is still odd or Mm -hmm. thought to be, at least in the academy and the church, so Mm -hmm. when you're in the church academy, thought to be something special or thought to be something you're not supposed to do or it is special rather than being told your body has to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. If your body is, and this was one of the things we were talking about, your epistemological instrument, then -hmm. you have to take care of that. If you are trying to be trying to see how the body politics is, is affecting you, then you have to take care of your body because yes. there is so much politic around your body. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of notions that the personal is political, the political is personal, yeah, mm-hmm. and the and your body is the place where that politics and personal come together. Mm-hmm. You have to care for your body in in. In specific ways, get a flu shot. So the nurse came and gave flu shots, took blood pressures, (laughs) took temperatures, talked Mm -hmm. to women about questions they had about contraception and reproduction, women's wellness kind of thing, all the way to debt counseling and getting a massage. The the response from the women while I was glad was, I haven't done any of this in so long. Mm -hmm. Mm Now these are women that are capable, well educated. You know, they're in master yeah, yeah. they're in master's programs. Mm-hmm. If they're not doing it mm-hmm. and they have access to health care, they have access mm. to massage, mm. they have access to debt counts, they have a, but they don't do it for themselves. They don't see their bodies as needing to be cared for given the politics. Yeah. So so and the reason why I did the circuit, I created the circuit because embodied pedagogy has to be just that about yeah. the body. body
0: yeah and in the life of the mind as we call it in higher education mm-hmm. which is alive, lie that's killing of, us
1: yeah yeah cut off at the neck that neck, yeah. neck up living yeah. is killing us yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's why we're just crazy scholars who think we're disembodied <laughs> beings yes. yeah. literally killing us mm-hmm. right
2: yeah. because I think that not only is it not something that is talked about in academic circles, the church circles, and I love that you said it, you know, in church academic circles. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In some places, it's seen as something that is almost, if not sinful. Yeah. It's selfish. It's self-indulgent.
1: It's not scholarly yeah. and it's self-indulgent. Right. So none of us can ever do it. The scholars can't do it and the church can't do yes. it. Yes.
2: So it's, it's, you know, mm-hmm. um, so, and, and we're in a field that celebrates Unhealthiness, right? So we don't, no one is gonna say, yay for you, you went on vacation and rested and you look great. Mm -hmm. Yay! No one does that at the end of the year faculty meeting. (laughs) We say, yay, you wrote 15 books Mm -hmm. and 14 (laughs) articles and you look like a mess, Mm -hmm. but But wow, your CV, you know,
1: and you you (laughs) treat people badly and you treat people badly
2: (laughs) and you look like you're about to fall over. But that doesn't matter because you wrote 50 books, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and I remember I, I have sat in those places and say, that sounds crazy. Do not clap for that. (laughs) I'm
1: also convinced um, and this conversation with the women. So the second thing that the women in this class wanted to know about Mm -hmm. in terms of, um, their own care and wellness, they wanted to know, they were kind of asking, what is the place of imagination in scholarship? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a body question to me, right? A womanist mm-hmm. body question. Mm. Like, so they didn't quite ask it, but, I, you know, in sensing what they were asking, it's kind of like, where is my imagination? What is the politic of my own imagination? Mm-hmm. Suppose I dream a world that is different than the world now. Is yeah. that a political statement? Am I an artist? Like they don't they don't mm-hmm. have, how do you make sense of all of that? For me, womanist pedagogies help us make sense of that because we don't separate imagination out from the cognitive, from the, mm. all those, yeah. embodiment means imagination and creativity are with the mind and the soul and the spirit are with the body and all those things stay together rather than this fragmentation and the splintering of the self. So when women say, can I write a creative piece that is a part of my research? And I say, yes,
0: yeah. because yeah. that
1: is a part of your knowledge production from a womanist approach. Mm-hmm. And they say, yeah, they're like, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure you can, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you can do this. Right. Yeah. So knowledge production in a, from a womanist approach is not reduced to just mm-hmm. logical, rational output of resource. It is also about creativity it is about artistry it is about expressions of the body mm-hmm. and the mind and the soul and all mm-hmm. those things together right. so that doesn't mean we have no standards right people would say well how do we assess that we actually as educators can assess a whole lot of things yes. right? <laughs> you don't have you don't have to be a sculptor to let your students do creative things um, that are still pedagogically sound mm-hmm. even in higher education that kind of approach again Mm -hmm. seems radical in the classroom Mm -hmm. but I remember sitting with my grandmother and my mother and when they would teach us while they were baking cakes Mm -hmm. while they were making pies while they were dusting while they were doing all sorts Mm -hmm. of bodily things and they were teaching us creative things while they were sewing and making their own clothes the lessons were all folded in together Mm -hmm. we need more classrooms that that are more yeah. life affirming and life giving. Yeah. And not just somehow theory is separated from <laughs> reality. Yeah.
0: So and a more whole so woman is pedagogies, I'm hearing, brings a more holistic absolutely. approach. Absolutely. absolutely and that I would argue is more rigorous. Yes. it is extremely absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. you are <laughs> yes. putting your yes. body, mind, self, soul, yes. spirit, imagination, yes. creativity on the line. Absolutely, right? You're taking risks.
2: Yeah. I used so I used to teach high school. Um, and Mm-hmm. So I used to give this option when we would read the, the text, The Odyssey, and for the final assessment for that book, they could do a variety of things, right? Um, they could mm-hmm. do a paper, you know, <laughs> they could do a painting, they could, you know, I was like, let your minds go wild. And of course, we get a lot of pushback, right, from, yeah. from teachers, from parents, from students, like, this is not art class, right, mm-hmm. like, we're trying to do a college you know level thing and all these things and I always point back to this one um girl who did a painting of Athena right Mm -hmm. and then they had to present it in her presentation of this painting of Athena right um you know she decided from the text what color her hair would be and in her hair were quotations from the text right what color to make the eyes Mm -hmm. that had to come from the text what the facial features would look like. Now, of course, there is no description of Athena in this text, but things like, you Mm -hmm. know, she was wise and strong. What does a wise and strong eyes look like? What does wise and strong facial features look like? What would Athena wear Mm -hmm. when she became mentor, when she became warrior, right? The the goddess of love, the goddess of war, you know, all of those things, right? What does that look like? Her presentation was more analytical than any analytic paper I have ever read, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you know, and even though those things kind of look, get looked down upon because the arts in general get looked down upon yeah. in education, um, it is much harder to pull a bunch of different disciplinaries together and present a cohesive piece mm-hmm. um, than it is to do this this one thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's also part of of a womanist pedagogy is as you're being holistic. Um you can pull the arts together. You can pull um music yeah. in, you can make that analytical. Mm-hmm. I love that um that a lot of women scholars um analyze literature, right? Find oh, theological yeah. reality in literature. You know, while we're naming names, I was uh, I was introduced to Nancy Lynn Westfield from her text, Dear Sisters. Mm -hmm. And at my on my PhD program, I learned about this woman that wrote poetry in her dissertation. And I was like, you can do that? Like, ooh, like you know? And once again, every time I encounter different womanist methodologies or pedagogies, there is this freedom that emerges for me. I was like, oh. Like I could write a poem or I could do, you know, there's different ways of intellectual expression um, other than the one very Western, very white, very Mm -hmm. male mode. Yeah,
0: Yeah, so the interdisciplinary issues around that, but still the academy, like I'll use, you know, and and she's a senior scholar now, but Tracy West, Mm -hmm. uh, Wounds of the Spirit. She had some roadblocks mm-hmm, because she was telling stories or having you know space for the women to tell their stories about um uh, of domestic abuse mm-hmm. and you know calling the church accountable to that, and that was you know a new approach to
1: doing a dissertation mm-hmm. so Um, but not not a new approach to African American women's culture Yes. 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 that we are storied beings, right, Mm -hmm. we tell stories in order to make meaning, to make sense out of the world, so part of what when we tell stories, when we invite students to tell stories, to analyze stories is the stories are in themselves multi-sensory mediums, Mm -hmm. so when we say, uh, paint the picture, do whatever you're doing, you're saying think about this, analyze it, Mm -hmm. but also feel Mm -hmm. your way into it that's the epistemology that yeah. our mothers taught us. Yes. Yes. That's womanist epistemology. Yeah. So we didn't think it up. Like our generations yeah. didn't think up womanist epistemology, womanist right. pedagogies.
2: Mm-hmm. We learned it from, from those our mother's who mommy. taught us how to do it, yeah. right? And, and there, I mean, there is always, for me, pushback in the classroom, right? Like yeah. more often than not, I'll get, you know, I'll bring out some... Some markers and some things, and mm-hmm. someone will say, "What is this art class?" Mm-hmm. You know, Um in religious education. And absolutely. religious, oh, absolutely!
0: That's the home of newsprint and no, markers. No, no. No no
2: no. <laughs> no, 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 no. But this is, but but this is this is grad school, oh, right? Really. And um, I'm going to be a
1: pastor.
2: Yes, we don't, we don't, we don't do, do these kinds. Now, of things. this is if this were like a children's ministry class, maybe, right? But no, 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 no. We don't do these things. I mean, when I was a, a student doing my MDiv at Princeton, they had this one assignment for a precept where they would do coloring one year Mm -hmm. Uh, we didn't do it because the class before us there was an uproar rioting i did not come to princeton seminary to play with crayons (laughs) right (laughs) um and they took the assignment away so we still there's so much hurdle of this understanding of what intellectual work is i had a student say to me last semester um He said, you know, this engaged pedagogy thing that you teach is interesting, but I much prefer it when you are in front of the class teaching us. Mm -hmm. I much prefer it when I am passive. Yes, and then I said, and I was sitting there, they were doing group work, and I said, so you don't think I'm teaching you right now? Mm -hmm. And he said, no, I said, you don't think you're learning anything. He was like, well, maybe, but I'm, well, I don't know, and I'm like, you know, and I said, well, quite frankly, it's easier to be lazy, right? It's easier to be passive. Yeah. And I've had I mean and I've had students when I present this idea of engaged pedagogy, um, and I tell them this is a class where they're gonna work. Like mm-hmm. you can't sleep in this class, you can't Facebook in this class, like you you're gonna work in this class <laughs> and you're gonna be active, yeah. you're gonna be present. Um, because we need everybody in this course to, to, to pull their weight in order for it to be this engaged, you know, um this engaged space, right? Yeah. Um and I actually had a student, which was, you know, it kind of tickled me because he was honest. And he was like, honestly, I don't know if I want to work that hard. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Much well, and, the, and the notes.
1: consumer mentality yeah. says mm-hmm. teachers work for us. The professors work for us as yeah. students. The professors work for us. So you should be up there with your dog and pony show. If yeah. I'm doing stuff, I'm paying you. Yep. So, so, so as pedagogies stand in the face of all of that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> whoever's in motion, whoever's doing the most bodily, sensory things, are learning, right? So we have to present the body with things to learn yeah. and particular mm-hmm. perspectives to learn. That is not always tenable mm-hmm. to administrations or to students. That's right. There's resistance
0: yep. to that. Absolutely. And so, what does this mean, uh, this? you know this embodied engaged pedagogy mean for creating democratic spaces in the classroom yeah. Yeah. when you've got you know sort of a chaos of resistance and some acceptance and some questioning and so I don't believe in democratic yeah. classes. I was going
2: to say that too. Okay. I'm like, I'm in charge of my classes. I, is not I, I yeah, believe Age pedagogy
1: yeah. supports democracy yes. in the larger society. Yeah. But in as, yeah. a, as a black woman in a classroom yeah. who in society mm-hmm. must struggle every day mm-hmm. for the authority she has already earned,
0: mm-hmm. right? Yeah. When they
1: still follow me around in the mall. Yeah. Right. And say, well, you must be a criminal. And we got we're going to get you for something. Right. And if that's not literal, that's the feeling in society. Mm -hmm. So I'm not giving up the authority in my classroom that I have both earned Mm -hmm. and that I need to exercise Mm -hmm. in order to teach the way I teach. Mm -hmm. So I'm not looking to create democratic classrooms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am looking to nurture the curiosity in students to develop their own agency to maintain democracy in our society.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I am looking to have people have an experience, even a modicum of experience of community, so they understand that individualism, the value of individualism is killing democracy. Mm -hmm. I am looking for people to have authentic awareness of their own body politics, regardless of race, class, or gender, to at least yeah. be able to name themselves, right, the white people that are still calling themselves Caucasians yeah. right? in yeah, 2017 yeah. just kind of boggles the mind of the current <laughs> politics. <laughs> um, I am trying to get them to know that discussion in and of... Sometimes the best thing we can do in a womanist classroom is to get people to have risky discussions Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: that people don't know how and don't trust... Yeah talking about taboo things or difficult things. So when they say, doc, you want us to, if the black the black students will sometimes say, if I started talking about racism up in here, you know, it would be on. No, it wouldn't, you're too scared of your grade. You don't mm-hmm. even know what to say. So yeah. come on, mm-hmm. we're at no risk of any fist fights breaking out right. over yeah. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> because you're not willing to risk it. Mm-hmm. But I'm, so what I'm interested in them is not demonstrating their rage or they're being left out of society as much as them being articulate about what does blackness have to offer to whiteness in mm-hmm. order to say, we are here with you. We are not just trying to swap who's in charge and who's going to be the oppressor. Mm-hmm. But conversate, to, to create dialogues that do this, to get people to risk being in dialogue is no mm-hmm. easy
0: task. Yeah, Dialogue is hard. It's difficult. Absolutely. Yeah. So, what does a
2: truly revolutionary classroom look like for you? You know, that's an interesting question because things that I recognize as truly revolutionary feel so at home, mm-hmm. right? It's revolutionary because it's not done in the academy, um, but the but the discussions, right? Me bringing that kitchen table or card table or domino table discussions. To the classroom, that's revolutionary for the for the Western Academy, but that feels so at home to me. Yeah, right. Um, you know that I I mean I'm I'm only half kidding when I say I become Melanie Lockhart when I step into the classroom. I very much embody my mother, um, um, which would be a different space. For her, right, for the academy, but it feels very much at home to me. Mm-hmm. So things like mm-hmm. dialogue, things like, you know, let's have artistic expression. Mm-hmm. Let's do, you know, you're gonna get up in the classroom and teach each other. Let's recognize that we all mm-hmm. need to be present yeah. in a particular space. When you are late, not only is it annoying, but you are disadvantaged, give being a giving a disadvantage to your peers because you were not there to lend your voice to the dialogue and yeah. they lost because of it, yeah. right? Um, so to really not only teach about these women's pedagogies, but to embody it, mm-hmm. that is radical because of the space we are in. Mm-hmm. But it's in my bones and it was in my mother's bones and her mother's bones and her mother's bones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I recognize bringing it to the to the space that I'm in is radical. Yeah.
1: So it sounds Pollyanna, but I want my students to have new dimensions, experience new dimensions of love, right? Mm -hmm. Because I I understood that the world was a complex place, but ultimately good, right? That people were ultimately good and that there weren't, my mother taught me this, that there weren't enemies per se, but they were just neighbors who were behaving badly, Mm. So when students mm-hmm. get in the classroom together, I want them to know who their neighbors are in, in more profound ways than how yeah. they would normally interact in larger society. That to me is an ethic of love more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not love that is not accountable and not squishy, you know, not, not mm-hmm. romantic love, not Hallmark card love, but love that says justice is what we have yeah. to be about and not me inflicting justice upon you right? <laughs> yes. but us sitting down working out justice for our generation here and now mm-hmm. the radicality of that is not that we have the ideas and the notions and the ideologies of love and and compassion and all those mm-hmm. kind of things to counter greed. it's that in these spaces we actually have people doing it not mm-hmm. talking about it but actually moving in these directions. That's the radical part for me.
0: Yeah. Nothing Never Happens is assisted by a team of people, including China Wilson, audio engineer, Abby Cox, assistant audio engineer, Kirsten Schultz, social media manager, Emily Gwynn, technical advisor. Our theme music was performed by Aviva and the Flying Penguins, and composed and orchestrated by Lance Eric Hogan. We have special music in this podcast by Paul Myrie of the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning in Theology and Religion. His music today is entitled A Prayer for Syria. You can see information about the music on the website tinapippin.org.